it's really good to see you all, and uh, in some ways it's even better to hear you. Um, last Sunday, um, was at a house church in uh, Calcutta, and there were about 20 of us in this living room, and we sang um, a couple of songs in English, and then uh, the whole rest of it was in either in Hindi or Bengali, and so uh, I was a little lost, and uh, so it was, it's good to hear a room full of English speakers um, lifting up the name of Jesus, but i got to be honest with you, it's pretty awesome to hear um, some non-English speakers doing it as well. Uh, just a, a tremendous time uh, over there. Um, we, as a church, are um, embarking on something new. Um, if you are here for the first time or you're just, you still feel like you're kind of new to things, um, you, you probably know about as much as we do at this point about what's going on. Um, but we are, um, are entering into a partnership with a church in Calcutta, the one where, where John and I were last Sunday. Um, and... Uh, our partnership with this church will be um, with the specific purpose, uh, or the primary purpose, I guess, of helping to oversee um, a real special ministry that's going on there. And the ministry is called Hope of Life. And um, let me just sort of give you a background. I'm going to show you some pictures. Um, this will probably be the only time that you see pictures uh, unless you, um, you know, schedule sit-down time with Ringo. Uh, um, I'm just kidding. But you can if you want to. Um, but th- we're not going to show. We're not going to put pictures on the website, and we're not going uh, to. It's just not going to work that way. Um, and so we'll show these, and from time to time we may show some. But this will be probably the most uh, most images that you'll see at one time. Uh, the first one. Um, let me show you where all this came from. First of all, these are all taken on an iPhone, and so uh, when you blow them up, they get even worse. So look, awesome. Looks awesome on iPhone though. Um, uh, so. This, uh, they're going to be really fuzzy, so I'm just sorry. But uh, this is the uh, Howrah train station. Howrah is a, actually a city right across the Ganges River from Calcutta. It's like a sister city, but now they just kind of treat it as one big area. Um, and in the Howrah station, they're about, uh, they estimate between 900,000 and a million people come through a day at this station. Uh, the next one is kind of another shot. Um, and so you see all these different tracks, and so there's just trains constantly coming and going. And um, if, uh, like, all right, I watched Slumdog Millionaire today for the first time. Uh, if you have seen Slumdog Millionaire, um, the, what the, when the kids, you know, their mom dies and they end up, like, just running around, whatever, they end up riding trains and stuff like that, that's, like, not a, like, cinematic, you know, flare or whatever like this that's based on things that really go on and so at these train stations um the people that you see like down here they are um they're picking up uh trash and different things or whatever and they um either they're homeless and they live either at on the grounds here or somewhere in the surrounding area and so uh what happens is there are um there are approximately uh 200 children who are homeless who live at this particular station. Um, they, um, a lot of them have jumped trains and ridden trains, you know, all over the place, and they just kind of move from station to station uh, and stuff like that. And so they're, they're homeless kids, um, and they're homeless for a, a whole number of reasons. Um, some, uh, most of them are runaways from abusive situations. Uh, some of them had parents who died, uh, and they just kind of found themselves with no one to take care of them. 
Some of them, their parents couldn't afford to take care of them, so they had to just go kind of fend for themselves. Um, some, some of them were abandoned by their parents, you know, stuff like that. So uh, about 200 kids live here. Uh, the next slide um, kind of gives you an idea of what, what's going on. So here's this guy, and these are all uh, these plastic water bottles like this one right here. Um, and uh, so what they do is they, um, they go through the trash that comes off of the train or they go through the train itself or whatever, and they're collecting all these bottles. They put them in these big, like, um, bags they've kind of stitched together. Uh, the next slide will show you um, another one. All right, there's two kids. Uh, like they're, they're literally kids. They're not, like, you know, college kids. They're, like, kid kids. Um, and so there they are. They have um, collected all these bottles, flattened them out, stuffed them in this bag. And the next slide, uh, they... Um, Yes, they do carry things on their heads uh, there. Um, and, and so what they do is they're going to, uh, to sell them to a recycling place. Um, now, what we found out, uh, a couple of things. One is that when they sell the money to the recycling place, that money does not go to like, buy food or to save up to try to find shelter or whatever. Um, what's going on is uh, it's, there's kind of just layers to it. Okay, So you start off with, um, with this extreme poverty, and I mean, just the most extreme thing you've ever seen. Okay, and and so that's where that's where it starts. Then there's like family issues on top of that. Um, like I said, often abuse, neglect, abandonment, those kinds of things. Um, then yeah, on top of that, uh, them running away and having to shift into like survivor mode as a six-year-old um um so the runaways then they end up at these train stations and there's different parts of the train station that end up in kind of a kind of a lord of the flies situation where the oldest kids become kind of the leaders of like the crew or the gang or whatever we would call them gangs um that's what they call them a gang leader over there but we would meet a gang leader and he's like 15 you know uh, just really strange and so, um, so it kind of becomes one of those situations. And so this, this kid who's born into poverty has family issues and then has run away or, for whatever reason, now fending for himself, now finds himself at a train station having to fit into one of these gangs where these older kids are determining what happens to him. And so uh, they may have to, like, sell these bottles and pay up the, up the like, chain of command in the gang, perhaps, um, but the gang people, what they do is they'll take the money, they'll buy uh, industrial strength glue and uh, put it on these rags and get the, all the kids huffing this glue and it gets them high. And then when they're high, they're able to, um, to sell these kids off for different services of, of every kind that you can imagine. And so um, for little girls, that becomes their, their life. These gang people get them high and then they say, hey, uh, these guys come off the train and they say, "Hey, are you interested in in this little girl?" And um, you know, it's not not to buy her, but for just all kinds of um, unspeakable acts. And so um, that goes on at this station. And when there aren't, if there aren't any girls around, then they offer the boys, and um, that's how they make money. Is they're basically pimping out these kids. And so that's the next layer. Is they're in this gang situation where they're being um, in order to stay in it, they have to—they basically have to get high and they have to do whatever 
whatever is forced upon them. Um, but then we found out another thing. There's another layer to it. Um, there is uh, there's a, a home, um, kind of uh, much like in Slumdog Millionaire. There's this guy who runs this place, and he lets the homeless kids come in, and they can eat once a day um, at his house, at this ministry that he has. Um, and but they come in, and the kids have to pay. So the money from the bottles it goes either up the power chain of the gang or it goes to pay this guy to let them eat. Um, and uh, if they don't have money, then they steal stuff off the trains and stuff, and they can bring him cell phones and bring him whatever, all different forms of payment. Um, if he doesn't, uh, if, if a kid misses a day, if, if they go Monday, Tuesday, they skip Wednesday, they show up on Thursday, in order to get to eat, um, he basically just, he just beats them because they skipped a day. Um, and so um, he, um, he has this whole system where all these kids are dependent on him to eat, um, but they're terrified of missing because they get a beating. And so they're in this whole like, routine of, um, I have to hurry up, collect the bottles, stomp on them, you know, flatten them out, put them in this bag, take them and sell them so I can go pay this guy so that I don't get beat tomorrow. And so... Like just when I say multi layers, it's it's like that kind of stuff, and and so that's the structure that these kids have at this point, um, and and so uh, so that's the situation. Like I said, there's there's 200 or so um, at this station. Uh, there are stations all over India where this is going on. Um, so uh, the next slide, um, there's another. That's a that's that same stack of bottles. Uh, that's there. All right, so the next one, um, this is Nabeen, and this is his wife, Matilda. And uh, aren't they cute? Um, they, uh, a couple of years ago, when they, they came, uh, the situation at the train station was something that, that God just put on their heart, and they began to fast and to pray about what to do about it, and God just told them um, just to walk the station and to, um, to minister to the kids. And so, uh, so that's so that's what he does. The next one, um, we went we went with him to the train station, um, and so this is one of the platforms. This is the first one we come up on. Uh, you'll see that stack of bottles right there, and underneath the platform is where um, like kids sleep, and underneath the platform is where a lot of those unspeakable acts when the kids are pimped out and rented out. That's where those things happen. Um, that's where what's one of the places. Um, and so he's showing us that, and then you can see uh, right there in the corner, uh, there's something on the, the turn. So the next one will show you that it's a little boy um, who's sleeping underneath that sheet. So there's Nabeen in the orange. And so he walks over, and, uh, and let me say this too. Uh, I'm super weird about like, like being a photographer in a situation like this. And so... Um, um, I asked Nabeen, and I was like, we really kind of wrestled with it, but felt like as a church who's getting involved in ministry, we need to, to be able to see the reality of what's going on. Um, and, and so he, he said that it was, it was perfectly fine and all that kind of stuff, but uh, in future situations, we won't be taking pictures of these kids. So I don't want you to feel like, uh, like that, because I kind of feel like that. So I want to make that clear. So we walk up, and there's the kid there, and Nabeen starts shaking him. And uh, 
kid wakes up, kind of frustrated at first, and then he sees Naveen, and a big smile comes on his face. Um, because Naveen has been walking through this train station for months and months and months and months. And uh, so that's what he does. He goes and he sees a kid, and he goes over and talks to him um, and shares Christ with him. The next one, uh, that's, there's that stack of bottles. So this is underneath that platform. These two kids were down there. Um, so they come out. See, this kid's laughing already. Uh, they just, Naveen just has this favor with him down there. Uh, the next shot... Um, these uh, are kids who used to live there, and now they live at Nabeen's house. Um, and what happened was Nabeen was going, he was ministering to these kids, and he was trying to share Jesus with them and get them to, to leave that lifestyle at the train station. And they kept saying, we don't have anywhere to go. Um, they were like, why don't, why, don't, why don't we go to your house? Why don't you be our dad? You know? And uh, he was like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. You know? and, and they kept hearing it, and so he and Matilda started talking, and they were like, well... Maybe we should start taking some of these kids in. And so they felt led to do that. So they moved to a, they, they found a place to be able to, to host some of the kids, and eventually they moved to a, a bigger house. And so these are the boys that now live at their house. Um, all these kids were like the kids sleeping underneath the sheet. They lived there at that train station, and they have been rescued. Uh, next couple of shots, um, um, this is... Uh, Hasim, uh, he's awesome. This kid, uh, just, I'm not going to tell you info, info on all of them, but this kid, they found him at the train station, sick. They brought him to the hospital. The, hos- the doctor said, this kid's only going to live like another day or two, um, no matter what we do for him, so we're not going to treat him at all. So Nabeen and Matilda took him home, and, I mean, like you nurse like a kitten back to health. They, like, fed him and all this kind of stuff and nursed him back uh, from, like, the doorstep of death. Pretty awesome. Um, so he's at the house. Uh, the next kid... Um, this is uh, Depunker. Um, he's awesome. Uh, he's the youngest. The next one, um, this is Prashad. He's going to be a preacher. I'm calling it now. Uh, the next one, um, the, I apologize. I can't remember this kid's name to save my life. That's Papu. I never have a problem remembering his name. Um, uh, and the next one, um, okay. Now, this, this, some of you maybe read this on his voice blog or whatever, but uh, this this happened when we went there. When we went there, there were six there were six kids at the house. So we're walking through the train station. So here this train comes up. All right, the next shot. Uh, there's a kid who's walking down the tracks, and so they call him over. And this is another guy named Daniel who works at the house. They call him over. The next shot, um, they pull him up out of the deal. Uh, the next shot, they walk him over. Um, the next one, uh, he's still walking. <laughs> Uh, all right, so here's um, here's Nabeen. Um, this this guy is the pastor of the church. Um, that's Vernon Berger back there. And so uh, Nabeen's talking to this kid, and we've already talked to a couple of kids, so we're just kind of standing there. Um, and uh, the next shot, um, Nabeen says, "Okay, he's ready." And we're like, "I mean, they're talking in Hindi or whatever. What's he ready for?" Uh, they're like, "No, he's he's going to leave today." Like he's going to leave the station. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to go. Just dead matter of fact. You know, we're all like, you know, like trying, trying not to recognize, uh, to let him notice the fact that we watched this kid literally get pulled up out of the train tracks. And we watched him walk away uh, to this new home. And so they took him right away um, 
and whatever. And so it all went down in like 10 minutes. Like we're like, did that really just, just happen? Did we just, did we just watch a kid's life get changed forever? Yeah. Yeah. And the bean said, he said, that's really cool. Cause we were praying this morning that God would do a miracle. Awesome. Like just real matter of fact, he's like, okay, come on, let's go. There are more. All right, let's go. You know? Um, and so that's what, so that's what they do. So the next, um, the next one, that's that kid. Uh, they took him, they got him some clothes, they got him a haircut, uh, got him all cleaned up, and so that's him at the house on that last day. And so the final shot uh, that we have. Uh, they already had those already. Um, when we left, uh, we left them with those uh, as a reminder. Um, and just... He's like, yeah. Um, but this this picture really, um, I don't know. There's a lot of forward vision in this picture. Uh, these these kids, um, they've lived with Nabina Matilda at Hope of Life. Um, the one that's been there longest has been there a year. Most of them a year to six months, somewhere in there. Um, and... So we're going to partner with their church to help give oversight to this ministry. Um, and so now you know what the train station looks like. You know what Nabina and Matilda look like. You know what the boys look like. Um, and you see we have tried to go ahead and start putting our mark on this ministry in a personal way. Um, now, they may lose those hats, so don't get sad if we should, like, guess what? They, you know, they lost them or something. Um, but... Maybe they'll have those hats for a long time, and maybe just having that hat will remind them of the, um, like the white people that came or whatever. Because I don't think the kids have a clue what we're doing at all. Um, so we were able to meet one on one with with all of them. We were able to uh, to sit down with their pastor and with Nabeem, um and the two guys from His Voice and me and John, and just uh, talk about all the possibilities, dream about the future, see where they see things heading. Um, and uh, and really just do the best we could to encourage and empower them and assure them that um, that they have people on this side of the planet that are with them and praying and believe in what they're doing um, and, and all that. So um, we don't know much more than I just told you. Uh, there's there's some details. The elders are gonna we're gonna take back all this stuff and we're gonna keep praying about it and see where it, where it goes. Um, but. Uh, this will be a completely different relationship than we have in Mexico. Uh, it's going to be different in, in pretty much every way, um, except for the super important stuff. Like, it's going to be like a relationship that's based on Christ um, that is about prayer and encouragement and just the support and connection. Um, we don't know anything about teams going over. We don't know anything about... We just don't know any of that kind of stuff. And so if you ask any of us, we're basically going to tell you that we don't know um, but uh, that's the kind of stuff that we're going to keep going forward on. Um, so we're going to have some uh, some uh, Skype dates with uh, Nabeen and his pastor um, and set up some of those those kinds of, of things where we can continue to kind of foster that relationship or whatever. So, uh, so there it is. There they are. Um, yeah. Um, one of the things that... Uh, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Genesis 1. Um, 
one of the things that, that you hear from time to time um, about uh, stuff like this is people oftentimes want to know, like, why we're doing it, you know? People are like, why? Why would you do that? Um, why are y'all going to India? And there's certainly answers, you know, that are, like, well, God told us to, you know, pretty good answer. Um, but really, like, that question really, like, in a more broad sense, needs to be applied to a lot of things, you know? Um, why, why do we do any of the ministries that we do? Why Mexico? Why um, the breakfast on the levee? Why do we have a missions team? Why do we have a kids team? Why is our child care um, on Sunday nights uh, like a structured lesson in the Bible uh, kind of thing and not just let them play, you know? Why do we, why do, we do that? Why do we have uh, a, a youth community group and a kids community group? Why do we have our, all our community groups, you know? Why do any sort of ministry, really? And uh, a couple weeks ago, we met with all the, all the ministry teams, because all those things I mentioned, they all have a team associated with them. We met with all those people. And I was, the opening question was like, why do we do what we do? And, um, and this group, they know. They knew it. They knew exactly why we do what we do. And so we were able to kind of dig deeper into that. And, um, and, and you expand it like one more level. I mean, why, why do any of us, do any kind of ministry at all? Like, why do we um, serve people? Why do we live that missional life that we're trying to do? Why do we join Jesus in what he's doing? Why are we trying to represent him as we go? Why are we trying to connect with our coworkers and roommates and neighbors and family members? Like, why, why do we do all that? Why do we do any of this stuff? Now, the, the, the bottom answer a lot of times seems to be what Jesus told us to and the truth is, that's, that is enough. I mean, that is enough of an answer. That is enough of a reason. That Jesus, you know, being the king of the universe, the only one worthy of worship and praise, king of kings, lord of lords, I mean, all that stuff. Um, when he says, do this, um, that is enough for us. And if that's all the information that we had, like if that's all we knew about what we're called to, um, individually in a missional life, and then in more specific ministries and all that kind of stuff, all that, all that together, if that's all that we knew, uh, that would be enough. But, but we, have, um, we have more to... We have... Um, I was really struggling with how to say this. Like, we have theological um, reasons that inform us as to why he's saying to go and do this. Okay, so let me be clear. If he just him saying go, he doesn't owe us an explanation. Maybe that's the best way to say it. He doesn't owe us anything beyond that. He should just say go and make disciples by baptizing. Okay, by like um, crossing from death to life by that conversion or whatever, Bapt- baptizing them and teaching them to obey what I command them. So we need to like be saved, and then we need to grow in sanctification and look more and more and more and more like Jesus. So him saying go. Doing that, he, he doesn't owe us any more explanation. But Scripture uh, helps us to understand why he's so determined and driven by that. Um, and our ministry teams, I talked about this, um, and so some of this will sound like a repeat, but, but we all, I, I believe this is a place where God has us 
as a as a corporate group. And even if you're you're here for the first time, I'm just going to lump you in. That God has this for us. I think He's trying to really drive something significant home. Um, and that that core belief that helps us understand why Jesus says to go is that that human beings are created in the image of God. And we are the only part of creation that has like has that privilege. Um, like nature, as beautiful as it is, was not created in the image of God. He created it. It's created for his glory. It points to him, but it was not created in his image. Um, angels, as cool as they are, um, were not created in the image of God. That's human beings. Um, so as you go to Genesis 1, um, so at the, I mean, the beginnings of what we know about God, this becomes clear. Verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, that plurality there, that's Father, Son, Spirit. The Trinity is um, being taught really in the very beginnings. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay? Um, When it says um, make man in our image and after our likeness, um, that does not mean that we are God. That we are gods. It means we are made in the image of God. Okay, um, A little bit, you don't have to turn to it, but in Genesis 5.3, the same exact wording is used. Um, it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. That's, the, that's how the image and likeness works. It's not a, a duplicate. He didn't. God didn't duplicate himself when he made us. Um, it's, it's like uh, parents having a child, and that child being the, the image of the parent. And so we all know, and the older you get, the more this becomes real, that you start to look like your parents and talk like them and act like them, and it's this like evolution. And so all you youngins, it's coming for you. Get ready. Uh, but that's what happens. Ever since I was a little kid, people have always said how much I look like my dad. I mean, oh, I've heard it my entire life. I just have come to predict that being told. People even will get on Facebook who don't know me, but they know my dad. They're like, oh, you're a spitting image, Larry Causey. Um, I've heard that my entire life. Um, and in every way that I look like my dad, act like my dad, um, speak like him, think like him, whatever, um, in every way that I'm like him, that's how I'm in his likeness and image. And so human beings are created in the image of God. So everything, in every way we are like God, that's a part of how that image works. So, God, so like our creativity, that's a part of our image of God. And we are a, just, the creativity of humans just baffles me. I mean, it's just... Tremendous. You know, there's just some people who are like, where do you come up with this stuff? It's not just artists. I mean, engineers and, and scientists and teachers. I mean, every, everybody. It's, there's just this creativity that's there. Um, that's it, the image of God. The fact that, that we um, crave relationships, image of God. 
Because God is a relationship, Father, Son, Spirit. That's a natural thing for us. Um, the, the, the fact that we, that we love people, um, that you form these connections and you love one another, that's a reflection of God. So humans are created like that. Dogs, not that way. The Grand Canyon, not that way. Um, outer space, beautiful, but not the image of God. Humans created in the image of God. So um, over in chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 6, we see something that to me is very interesting. It may not be interesting at all to you. That's okay. Um, look at this. Uh, this is not a, a, a death penalty or murder, whatever, argument. This is, I'm going somewhere else with it. So if you want to talk about that after, we can. Um, verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Okay? Now, at first glance, you're like, okay, well, yeah, it's just saying the same thing again. But to me, what's interesting is that here we are in Genesis chapter 9, and what happens between Genesis 1 and Genesis 9 is Genesis 3, where the fall happens. Sin enters into the world. Humanity is separate from God. And so the image that we're created in has now been uh, contaminated. It's been affected thoroughly, every part of us, by sin. And yet, here's chapter 9, where God's still claiming us as being made in his image. I think that's significant because um, once the image of God was contaminated, and you know how God is about his image... I mean, he could have just, just wiped us all out. Just like, I'm just going to just crush this sucker and just start over. But he, he didn't. He chose to redeem that image. So here he is in chapter 9, still claiming us. Genesis 1, Genesis 9. And then, um, you don't have to turn to it. I'm not going to. In James 3, uh, there's this... Interesting verse. Talking about our speech, and specifically the tongue here. It says, with, with it, with our tongues, with our mouth, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Notice he doesn't say uh, anything about like fellow Christians. He doesn't talk about... Um, we don't need to curse people who the image of God is being restored in. We should only curse the ones where it's still contaminated. We don't need, don't curse the saved, but the unsaved, you know, whatever. He puts everybody in this category. And and so here's here's where I'm I'm going with this. Um, the reason why we do what we do is because of a fundamental belief that all people are created in the image of God. That biblically, God claims image bearers in Genesis 1 and Genesis 9. And here in James. That there aren't, is not this distinction made between the sheep and the goats, you know, the saved and the lost, all this kind of stuff, when it comes to image bearing. Now, there are distinctions to be made, but when it comes to bearing the image, everybody is created in the image of God. So, like, let me, and the, the reason why I bring this to us tonight is, is because I think God wants us to, but also 
think we're at the end of this run that we've had. And so let's, let's go back to, I'm going to leave some stuff out, but let me run through the past couple months here at, at the ring. Um, let's go back to the tailgate party, all right? You know, 90,000 whatever people uh, in Tiger Stadium, like 140, 150,000 estimate on campus. So we tailgate out there among all kinds of people, all right? Um, then there's like Thanksgiving, all right? So people do friends and family, and all, so you're with family. Um, then, uh, then we come back and we start Advent. And so we have uh, Maison de Ami. We do Christmas party at this home for mentally challenged homeless uh, men and women. Um, do a Christmas party for them. Um, then uh, a couple of us went with the BCM to New York um, to work at the third oldest homeless mission uh, in the country, the oldest in Manhattan, um, that serves like 150 um, people three times a day and all this kind of stuff. Went, so went to, um, to serve the homeless of New York City. Um, after, that, uh, after that, we did the, um, the women and children's shelter. We uh, took the moms shopping for their kids and gave them gift cards uh, and turned them loose in Walmart to go and buy things for their kids. And the kids made stuff for their parents and, and all that. Um, we, um, and of course, we had breakfast on the levee in there that um, is, is going on. Um, and then, uh, then we have Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, and we invite all those groups to come. Um, and, and be a part of what's going on. That night we take up an offering um, for Living Water International, which I forget the total, but it's like eight grand or something like that you guys gave. It's insane. Um, that's going to go to help dig wells, in, uh, freshwater wells in parts of the world where they do not have access to clean drinking water. And it leads to all kinds of problems. So like eight Gs comes out of this group to go, um, to go there to some place in the planet where we don't even know. Um, that's that night. And there's Christmas again with family people and stuff. Then uh, college students go to Passion. So there's like 22,000 college students at, at this deal. Um, and a part of that is learning about all these different ministries all over the, the world. Um, so you're in this huge group with all these people and then learning about all that stuff too. Um, and uh, also, like right after Christmas, we have a group that goes to Monclova, Mexico to bring gifts from our church to a home that's a lot like the one in, uh, in uh, where? India. Uh, a lot like the one over there, um, to bring gifts to those kids and spend time with those kids. Um, and then, uh, then John and I go, and we go do all that stuff that you just, you just saw. Um, and, and so if you look at all the different environments that God's had people from our church in, and there's a, so much I left out, um, from tailgating with all these people to stuff with your family to all the different events of admin conspiracy to I mean, all these different things, and in every single one of those situations, without exception, um, every single one of those people is exactly the same. And that's why we do what we do. Every one of those people is exactly the same. Plenty of differences, culturally, racially, economically. All, none of that stuff matters. Every one of those people is the same. And, and that's why we do what we do. Jesus makes the distinctions that are important for us. He says, every one of them bears my image. Every one of them. And so every one of them is worthy of the dignity that comes with being created in the image of God. Every one of them. So the kids in India and the kids in Monclova and the kids across the courtyard, all the same. 
Image bearers, image bearers, image bearers. There's no difference. You want to talk about something that will ruin us. It's for that to become like right in front of our face all the time. Because when we begin to see people that way, and God's had us here for a long time, I think he's starting to connect image bearing with what Jesus says in Matthew 25. You know, when he says, you know, whenever you see someone who's hungry or thirsty or need of clothing or need of a visit or whatever, whenever you do that, you meet that need for them, it's just like meeting it for me. The reason why he says that is because they bear his image. That's why. It's not like it's not like simply because it's like oh well, that's what I would do so you're doing what I would do so I connect to that. No. He's like you're you're taking care of someone who's created in my image that has a need. You're treating them with the dignity that comes from being an image bearer. It's tremendous. And when I say it will ruin us, I mean ruin us for the better. Because I I promise you this. Um Guys who struggle with um, lust and issues on the internet, this concept will completely revolutionize that. Like if you've been like just wrestling with that for so long and so long and so long, like bring this into that. And bring this truth right in front of you. And those websites, you realize they're full of image bearers. And when you see an image bearer, and you see them as an image bearer, you treat them with the dignity that comes being an image bearer. And all the like, not to like go gender all gender specific, but I I know that like there's so many um, females who just love to rip on celebrities. Those celebrities, image bearers, every one of them without exception, no matter how uh, ridiculous their behavior may seem and how, like, whatever, um, no different. No different. I was, I was watching, for some reason now I'm associated with Jersey Shore, I'm not real sure why, but I was like, I was like, man, Jesus loves Snooky so much, you know? Snooky. Hey, the Bible says she's created in the image of God. And she needs to know that. I'm not trying to pick on her. But all you ladies who like to like look at magazines and, and keep up with celebrity gossip and all that kind of stuff, you realize that you're, you're doing exactly what James said what you should not do. You're tearing down fellow image bearers. It's ridiculous. College students, you go to school with 30,000 other image bearers. And that'll change the way you go to class, I promise you. You know? It'll 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 change it. It'll change what you say about them, what you think about them, how you interact with them. If you are here and you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to live a mission life, but I hate my coworkers so much. Right? Bring the, this is how you be, need to begin to pray for them. And I know that like and I don't say any any of the stuff I just said is not like I don't mean to say it in such a way where it's like, I've conquered this, and y'all need to as well. It's not that. 
I've been learning it. And when we were in India, like, um, we were just kind of talking about this. And I was, like, I was like, you know, I feel like God's been beating me over the head with this so long. I really just wanted to just change topics because I, I, I'm just I'm kind of tired of this topic, you know. And God's like, I'm not going to let up on this topic. That's ridiculous. Because the life that we're called to, this has got to be about our perspective. And the reason why I say I wish he would change topics is because um, time with my family, time in New York, time in India, every one of those things I mentioned, uh, Maison de Me, the whole time it's like, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. And it's like he was whispering it to me. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And he's like, no, no, you don't see him that way yet, so I'm just going to keep driving on you until you do. And I can't say that I'm there. But I want, I want to be there. I want you to be there. I want us to be there. We always say that, that we feel like we're called to be faithful with whoever walks in the door on Sunday night, in community group, whenever. Well, this, is, this has got to be just natural for us. And, and so I don't, know, I don't necessarily know what that means for everybody. But that's, that's why we do what we do. That informs the Great Commission. That's why Jesus says to go and to make disciples. That's why. So he didn't have to tell us why, but he did. We, we gathered that from Scripture. And I, I think that that is going to be continue to be a revolutionary thing for us. Um, and so when you think about us being connected with the church on the other side of the world, I think a part of what it's supposed to do is um, stir us up, but then like we're supposed, I think we're supposed to channel all that into things here. You know? I think we're supposed to see those images, and you, know, you get worked up, and you're like, man, that's... I can't believe that kind of injustice and that kind of need and that kind of whatever. I think we're supposed to refocus that and realize, like, guess what? We're called to this city first. That there are kids in need here. That there are people in need here. That there are people that are hurting here. Um, It may not be as obvious as it is there. But it's obvious to the Lord. And so the idea that the gospel is for everybody, see, I really struggle sometimes with like these different like theological like bullies that are out there, you know, um, because I just don't understand uh, a lot of what they say most of the time. But one of the things I really can't seem to wrap my mind around is the fact that the Bible seems just really clear that um, that God's desires for everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Him, everybody. So if everybody's an image bearer, then to me the gospel is for everybody, and so. For us to begin to see everybody as being the same. The same, the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. I was watching, like I said, Slumdog Millionaire today, and there's there's this scene, and uh, kind of a similar deal. There's these kids that are kind of hooked in with this slumlord or whatever, and one of the kids makes it out. A couple years later, he runs into one of the kids that's still caught up in it. And he tells him, he's like, almost like apologizing, saying like, I'm sorry that, I'm sorry that, uh, that I got away and you didn't, you know. He just says, I'm sorry. And the kid says, it's okay. 
said, you got rescued, and I wasn't so lucky. And he said, that's the only difference. And I was like, that's what I'm preaching about tonight. Like, that's, that, that's it. He's like, we're the same. We're the same. So Jesus came to rescue all of us. And that's why we do what we do. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, it's such a, a humbling thing to think about. Um, just the fact that uh, that you see us as all being the same um, image bearers that you did not give up on. And uh, no matter where someone is on this planet, no matter what their circumstances are, no matter what their conditions are, uh, that um, that you see us as being all the same when it comes to bearing your image. And for some, that image is still contaminated, and for some, that image is being restored. And we know that your desire is for it. For everyone who bears your image to have that brought back to an, an accurate representation of who you are. That's what you want. And you will not rest until it happens. And I pray that we would not either. Pray that you would, that this would be a, continues to be a paradigm shift for us. But really, Lord, that tonight would somehow just ignite something in us that you would kind of flip that switch that, that keeps us thinking we're better than somebody or um, that just brings out that judgmental spirit in us or that arrogance and pride. And of all the examples that went through, there are countless others. I just pray, God, that, that you would, in fact, ruin us for our good when it comes to this that we would not be able to get away from this reality and this truth. That when we leave here, I mean, everybody we see, um, everybody we work with, go to school with, live with, live around, that's just nonstop, that you're just whispering it. And until it is formed in us and just a, a natural part of how we interact, I pray you just wouldn't leave us alone about it. And maybe this is one of the reasons why you're bringing us to the other side of the world. Maybe this is one of the things you want to teach us. We want to learn it, and we want to get um, on the same page with you. And that begins in our own hearts and our own minds. So I pray that would be real for us, and that you would just have your way in this place.